You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Good morning again. It's my pleasure to be with you. I had a had the chance to share with the, the first service and enjoyed that. And I just hope that um, something that would be said here this morning would speak to you in a, in a, uh, in a significant way. Um, I want to just let you know um, briefly that, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, ministering right now as a pastor in Amarillo, Texas. This doesn't really seem like a foreign country to you, or maybe to some of you, Texas does seem like a foreign country. Certainly, I know that people in Texas, we are proud enough of our state that we might say that we're our own country, uh, but, but uh, I am from, this is getting into it, I am from Texas as well originally, so um, sometimes I know that uh, I can be a little proud of my Texas heritage as well. And if you've ever been there, you'd know that's the case. You see as many Texas flags as you do American flags, and uh, people have it tattooed all across their body. Uh, it's, it's special to us. Uh, it's like its own country, um, as it was for a, a brief time. Um, but, you know, we served, our very first ministry assignment, we were in El Paso, Texas, and we were ministering in the northern half of Mexico, and then uh, across the 2,000-mile border, we would also do the, um, the southern U.S., and we, we learned a lot about what ministry was. We, at the same time, worked with young college students and sending them out in ministry trips. Um, the Lord really spoke to us. Uh, in that time. And then eventually we made our way to Congo and we spent eight years in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And the Lord really showed us so much about what it means to follow him. And, and this is really what I want to get to, the heart of faith promise service. Yes, faith promise is certainly about taking pledges, making a relationship or a commitment rather with the Lord and saying, Lord, I, I promise to give this amount of money. And, and, and I know that this amount of money that I'm releasing uh, for your service, I know that you'll replace it. And we might even, we might even say, I, I know that I'll be better off having given it than if I hadn't. And that's, that's a huge part of faith promise. I remember, I remember being a, a young seminary student uh, in Kansas City, studying at the, the seminary there and, and, and working a part-time job. Actually, I, I had two or three at times part-time jobs. Um, and welcoming, uh, getting ready to welcome a new child in, into our family and, and all that that would entail. And I remember just thinking like, it's Faith Promise Sunday, the Lord's gonna ask me to give something. And, and, and I kind of came back with this number that for us was an impossible number. And I said, well, this doesn't mean anything unless my wife also has the same impossible number. And, and as I got with my wife, she said, you know what, that's the exact same amount I was giving. I said, no. You were supposed to tell me that was crazy and that the Lord had spoken to you in a much smaller number. And I remember even being approached by people at the church and saying, are you sure this is the amount that you want to give? We know that you're a seminary student and, and you, uh, this might be beyond your capacity of study. But this is what we feel like the Lord wants us to give. What we knew was we were going to be missionaries one day. The Lord had called us to this. We were going to be missionaries and we had to begin to understand what it meant to give sacrificially. And so that's what we did. So faith promises is, yes, it's about giving. It's about hearing the stories of what God is doing all around the world and, 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 and knowing how to better pray, how to better uh, support your church and extended church family. Um, but also faith promise is dangerous because I truly believe it's ultimately about allowing ourselves to be caught up in the movement of the Spirit and allowing ourselves to go wherever the Spirit leads us. 
And I know that when I was in eighth grade, I was at a faith promise service and the Lord spoke to me and I said, I don't know what this means. The Lord's calling me to follow him and I'm just gonna go. And so Lord might call at faith promise services, maybe not today, but maybe in services to come, Lord might call your young men and your young women into, into a lifetime of, of missions. Might also call you into short-term uh, missions involvement through trips or different things, but uh, be aware of the fact that, that Faith Promise Sunday is not just about making a promise by faith to give, it's about making a promise by faith to be and to go whoever or wherever the Lord asks you to. And so um, with that said, I want to read to you from John chapter 20, um, verses 19 through 23. It's a passage that, that I've come back to time and time again for faith promise services, uh, one that um, the Lord has spoken to me so many times um, uh, using this uh, passage, and I just want to share it with you. Uh, it comes from John 20, uh, verse 19 to 23, and it says this. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors were locked and, his, and uh, locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And this is the word of the Lord for God's people this morning. You know, I think about this passage and, and right away I, I, I'm thinking about uh, political turmoil that's so much a part of the DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo, as we call it, and, and so much a part of many places around the world. And, and the fact that, that whenever, whenever you're... Whenever the main guy gets overthrown, they go for his buddies. You know what I'm saying here? Like, like his cohorts, his friends. And so whenever there's a political coup, it doesn't matter who it was, the next guys that get in trouble are, are the buddies of the main guy. And I know this is true. Um, uh, in, in Congo, it was true. The, the case was whenever, um, so there was a, a, a war that started, um, kind of been ongoing war for the last 30 years, but started in the, in the mid to early uh, 1990s, some um, uh, six other countries attacked the Congo. And as they did this, they um, attacked through the eastern part of the country in the one city where we had uh, where we had any churches of the Nazarene, any Nazarene pastors. And um, this violence kind of erupted into that part of the country and spread like a wildfire. But as the people, um, as the different armies converged on this city, uh, the people there just left. They packed everything up on their heads and they began walking and they walked for hundreds of miles, some of them a thousand miles or more. And as they walked, um, they got tired and, and, and they, they stopped and they, and they just lived where they were. And if the, if the violence came closer to them, they would get up and they would move again. But some of them went kind of a northerly route. Some of them went straight across the country west. Some of them went more south. And as they went, these pastors, these church people, um, these, these disciples of Jesus Christ, everywhere they went and everywhere they settled, they started churches. They started them, um, not on purpose, but just because they came and as worshiping people, they came and they prayed and, 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 and they read scripture and they, and they, and they served each other. And, and as they did that, uh, churches started. And so it started as five churches became eventually what would today be closer to 500 churches across the country 30 years later. 
Um, and the Lord does this multiplying act. And I'll speak about that a little bit more here in a moment. But what I know is, is that as those countries come in and as people, uh, as the dictator was overthrown and, and a new person was put into place and that guy it, it was overthrown and killed as well, whenever that happens, you always go for their buddies. You always go for their best friends. And I imagine that it was, that it was something like that for the disciples. Can you imagine what it would be like? Yeah, we're with Jesus. We know we're okay if we're with Jesus because he is the Messiah. And then he's gone. And even if Jesus didn't declare himself a political king uh, or, or a leader of an army, he was still executed in the same way uh, at, uh, through crucifixion that the Romans would execute any political leader. And so as he was uh, killed in that way, you can imagine the disciples are thinking, we're his buddies, we're his best buds, we're next. So they're in the room, the door is locked. Jesus has actually been raised and they don't know it yet. And they're sitting there and they're just thinking, what are we gonna do? We're in this room, at least we're safe here. We got the doors locked, windows closed. I imagine the lights are down low. You know, the lamps or whatever they would use are down low and they're probably whispering and they're just there together. What are we gonna do? Certainly we're next, we're the best buds. And as we know, Peter was, was recognized in the crowd, and so people would know his disciples. And yet, in the midst of this fear, in the midst of this trying to maintain their place and where they're at, Jesus shows up, and he tells them, first, peace be with you. And you can imagine some of them might have doubted, is this really Jesus? Is this a ghost, maybe? What is this kind of thing? So he, apparently there was this question, and so he shows them the holes in his hands and the holes in his side, and it says, after seeing those things, they rejoice because we know it's Jesus, and not just some appearance of Jesus, not the Holy Spirit shining down on us, but Jesus is actually physically alive, and he's here in our midst. And then Jesus does this other weird thing. He... he he leans in close to them. And, and this is, this, I think about this a lot because I know that in Congo, we must speak very close to people. I know that I used to, when I got there, I would find myself turning and giving people my shoulder because I felt they were too close. And uh, men would often reach out and grab my hand and just want to hold my hand while we talked. And so I got used to standing very close to people. And I know that when I first moved back two and a half years ago to Amarillo, um, people were constantly stepping away from me and I realized I'm a weirdo now, as all missionaries are. But I imagine that this is a setting. They love Jesus. They thought he was gone and he's back. And they're hanging on every word he has to say. And so they're leaning in uh, on the edge of their pillows or however they're seated on the floor, most likely. And they're sitting there leaning into him. And he leans in. And instead of giving them some comforting words, he, he does this. He, look, he leans in close and he goes, what a weird, what, would you be blessed if your pastor leaned in close and breathed in your face? I'm thinking you wouldn't enjoy that. But Jesus leans in and he breathes into their face and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you, now go. See, when the Spirit comes, we're unable to remain where we're at. When the Spirit is present among us, we're automatically sent out to the world. And yes, we may be sent to, to those nearby or to the people that we know are familiar to us, but we may also be sent to those far away. We may be sent for a long time or for a short time. What we know is if the Spirit gets out and starts moving, we have to respond. And I'm thinking that it's almost like 
It's almost like we're not real people until we receive the Spirit. We're not who we're meant to be. We're not what God designed for us to be. And I, I go back to that Genesis 2 story where God is kind of creating um, man and mankind, Adam and Eve, out of clay, and he's creating them in this way, and they're just kind of like a, a statue. And I imagine just like a statue you stick on your shelf or something, and if you've ever traveled out of the country or someplace where they make lots of little artifacts that you could buy, you might see that and say, wow, yeah, that's like a little statue of a person or something, and that's what, that's what they were. They didn't become people living and breathing, walking and talking, capable of, of, of great things and, and, and a relationship with God until God breathes his breath into them and they have life. And they become living beings and they're capable of not just a relationship with God, but, but having dominion over the earth. And so God comes to them and he, and, and, uh, or he, Jesus comes and he breathes life into them in the same way that God breathed life into the first man and first woman. And now they have their vocation. They know what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to go, supposed to follow. So faith promise is about a movement of the spirit and then our ability to accept it. You know, we have this weird verse that, that we often want to leave out of this passage when we're reading it. At the end, it says, you know, if you forgive somebody their sins, they'll be forgiven. But if you don't forgive someone their sins, they'll, they'll, they won't be forgiven. And sometimes I think we can look at that and we can read that and we can say, oh, good. You know, there's this group of people and they really bug me. Um, and, and these people's sins, I choose to not forgive those today, Lord. Uh, or, or these people, they, they have different ideas about how to live out their faith, their Christian faith. And so I, I don't think that they're in the right place and, and probably their sins ought not to be forgiven. Or you know what? These people aren't necessarily Christian, not Christian, but this is the stuff that they do and I'm gonna retain those sins. And I want to say that this is a, a, a misreading of Scripture. What's happening here is, as people who are sent out, wherever we go, when we share the gospel, and people have a chance to hear it and know that, that Jesus is, is, is real and wants to have a relationship with them, and they begin to give their hearts and lives to Jesus, he begins to convict them of their sins, and they're convinced that, yes, I've been living a sinful life. Jesus, I want to put those away, and they have their sins forgiven. So if you go... If you go, people's sins will be forgiven. Praise the Lord. But if you don't go, if you're afraid of the outside world, if you stay locked in your room where it's comfortable and you have the right climate and, and you have your friends and they do worship the way that you like and, and they preach the way that you like and, and they do it in the language that you prefer and if you stay here in that comfort in this locked room or these closed doors, if you stay here, then people won't hear about Jesus. They won't know that they need a relationship with him if they want to be restored with the Father. They won't be convinced that they're sinful and they won't have their sins forgiven because they won't even ask for forgiveness. So if you go, people will be saved. If you stay, they won't be saved. Faith promise, I'm telling you, is about willing, being willing to go whenever and wherever God says go. And this is not true just uh, today. It's not just true in, 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 in some circumstances. I know that uh, scripture is filled with people saying, yes, Lord, I'll go. You have Abraham. God says, go to the place that I'm going to show you and go there. And Abraham goes. In fact, Abraham wasn't faithful for following the law. Abraham wasn't known to be faithful for any other thing except for when God said go, Abraham said, okay, I'll go. Even when that meant going up on the mountain, right? And offering your son, Abraham said, okay, I'm going to go. 
And then Moses is also somebody who, when God said, go to Pharaoh and take my people up out of this land into the land that I will show you. Man, that would have been a hard task. I'm gonna go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. I'm gonna go to him and take my people out. And God says, go, and, 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 and Moses goes. And, and then eventually, uh, God says to all of the people of Israel, okay, follow me. When I go in this pillar of cloud, when I move to this place and I stop, that's where you're meant to go. And when I go again, you're supposed to go there. And, and you just keep following me wherever I go. And they followed him in that way. Obviously, think of Jesus and his disciples. Follow me, he tells them. He tells them in Matthew 28, make Christ-like disciples or make disciples in the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He tells them also in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He tells them you'll go to Judea and Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth, and I will be with you always. So when the Spirit comes, people are sent. Also, we think of Paul who, who goes around from place to place. He goes to believers. He goes around the known world. He tells people, hey, um, this is what you're meant to do. And then eventually in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he tells them, you're meant to be ambassadors. You're meant to be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. And this reminds me of a story. Um, I, was, I was, um, had a layover in London. And I had some friends and they were like, hey, uh, we're gonna come into London and we'll meet you, just take this train or whatever. And you know, 13 hour layovers, plenty of time to get out, go see us and go back and catch your plane. And so as I was coming through, I, I, I was uh, going through uh, passport control. And uh, I had a passport for only a year and a half and I didn't realize how much I was traveling and filling up that passport, I hadn't paid attention. But it was a 50 page passport book. They don't allow you to add pages anymore, but you can get 50 from the very beginning at no extra cost. And these 50 pages, I, I had only one half page not used. And I was going through passport control and the lady starts flipping through and she's like, I see you're very well traveled. And I said, yeah, you know, I, I kind of get around. And she's like, yeah, um, I don't know that we're gonna be able to let you in the country today. I said, why is that? Well, you don't have any blank pages. You see, I'm a... I'm a representative of my government and, and I'm a gatekeeper and I decide who comes in and who comes out. And, and, and I have to be able to see if you meet the qualifications to come in and I have to put a stamp there and on your way out, someone else is going to stamp next to it. And if there's no place, you don't get to come in. And eventually she finds this and she says, man, I hope this isn't going to be a problem for you. This is your last blank spot that we'll be taking up here. I said, don't worry in the country I'm going, that doesn't matter. Uh, and so she, she stamped my passport, and let me in, but I got to think about it. You know, ambassadors or representatives of another country, they don't speak for themselves. They don't go places and say, here's my rules about, you know, um, what it means to exist in this place. No, they, they, they represent somebody else, the highest authority of their country. That's who they go with that uh, seal of approval, right? And we make that stamp who's in and who's out. And the same is true for us. If, you, if you're a follower of Christ, you are an ambassador of Christ, which means that everywhere you go, you represent him. Yes, we may be Americans. We may have a shared experience in that space and, 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 and that, what, what that means to be an American who follows Christ. But when we go somewhere, when we're sent, we don't present the flag of the United States and say, bow down, now you get to be a Christian. And we don't even get to present the flag of Texas, although I'm sure we'd love to do that. Uh, but you just say, here is Jesus. Do you accept this? And we help people get through there. And that's, that's our job. That's an amazing thing that we get to be a part of letting people into the country 
letting, letting people in more rightly said to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be amazing if, you, if we all realized that was our job, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing? And so how are we sent? We're sent in ordinary ways, very, very ordinary ways, things that we think of normally. Like we can be a testimony or a witness to our friends. Um, we can speak to them and help them, our family members who don't know Christ, coworkers and neighbors and schoolmates and strangers that we might randomly meet or people we know from social groups. We can speak to them and, and, and have a message to them. And sometimes we can preach to them without even saying anything, right? We can just be grace-filled and loving and kind and, and somehow that will testify to them and we'll be witnesses, ambassadors for Christ in that way. And that's, that's great and that's normal. And we're maybe a little more comfortable doing that at times. And sometimes it's difficult to minister to people we know, right? Because if it doesn't go well or if they reject me, I have to see them again. Or it makes Thanksgiving dinner weird because they, they didn't want to have anything to do with me when I shared my testimony with them a while back. We also have other ways we think of like extraordinary ways, things that we say, oh, I could never do this. And, and some of those, yeah, they might involve preaching and teaching and, and other ministries of this local church, or, uh, but they might also involve going, right? I could never go on a mission trip. I could never get on a plane. I could never eat that food. I could never try to have a conversation with someone who barely speaks my language. I couldn't do that. That's, that's not for me. That's tough. But if the Spirit's sending you, you have no choice but to go. And the Spirit's making you aware of, of that need in that place, then it's possible that the, the Spirit is sending you. So following the movement of the Spirit is to say yes to missions, either short-term, long-term, either in prayer or giving, nearby or far away and saying, yes, Lord, I will let you use me for your kingdom. I will be your ambassador. This makes me think of a guy named Meshach. Meshach was a, uh, a young man in a church in Lubumbashi, the city where I lived in Southern DRC. Um, there's a lot of, I met a lot of Shadrachs and Meshachs. I never really met any Abednegoes. I don't know why he doesn't get the representation, but lots of Shadrachs, lots of Meshachs. Meshach's just a church guy. He's young, young 30s. I think he led one of the choirs um, uh, in, in, in one of the main churches there. And we're at District Assembly and we're praying that the same movement that that caused people to leave uh, the eastern part of the country, right? They left with their belongings on their head and they were escaping violence. The same movement that caused them to go and plant churches everywhere they went caused them to be representatives and ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven everywhere that they stopped, whether they stopped for a short term or long term, and churches just sprung up in that place. We asked for that same kind of sending spirit at a district assembly. And as we prayed and, 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 and poured our hearts out to the Lord, uh, Meshach was there and, and he realized he was traveling to a city of Puerto. Puerto's probably 30,000 people. And as he was going to this city from a city of 5 million, um, the, the roads aren't paved, it's difficult to travel. And, and he just calls us one day and he says, uh, hey, uh, pastor, I'm in Puerto and you need to get here. You need to get here because um, I, 
I don't even know how to explain this to you. Just get, just get to Puerto. And there's this long story of us um, having probably some serious spiritual warfare with issues of documents and vehicles breaking down and, and people being sick and, and not able to get there. So it takes us probably about a month before we actually get there. It's only 300 miles away, uh, but it's all unpaved. So we left home at 6 a.m. and got there at 9 p.m. When we get there, we call, we call Meshach and we tell Meshach, hey, we're not gonna be able to get across the river. They closed the ferry because it's dark now and we have to stay on this side. So we're just gonna sleep in the car and then we'll see you tomorrow. And Meshach says, no, 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 no. You can't do that. I'm sending some guys over with canoes and they're gonna bring you across the river on a canoe and someone's gonna sleep in your car and so we know the car will be okay overnight. But you have to come now. So the canoes come across and we get on the canoes and I've been on plenty of canoes before and, and that was normal. And there's a lot of paddling and you just kind of sit there and these guys are working really hard to paddle across. And uh, I get across and we make it to the home in Puerto where, um, where Meshach is and he's saying, okay, um, pastor, don't be mad. Don't be mad, but I was just walking around and, and walking around the city and I had done my job and things. And as I was walking, someone came out and said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm here because I work for this company and they sent me here and I'm doing this. And I said, no, 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 Why are you really here? I think there's another reason you're here. And, and don't be mad, pastor, but I couldn't help but say that maybe the Lord has sent me to you. And I started telling them about Jesus and, and they said that they said they wanted to become Christians and I don't know if I'm allowed to help make people Christians and so you had to come. And so we get into the church and, and there's, there's probably about 30 people in the church and they said, we're ready to accept Jesus right now. And so I'm with the district superintendent another couple of church leaders and, and we're there and we said, well, we need to talk to you about, about you know, what it means to be a Christian and follower of Christ and then, and then we'll give you a chance to accept. And they said, great, we're ready to begin learning now. So this is like 11 o'clock at night and we begin teaching and we taught for two hours. And they said, okay, great. We all accept Jesus. And they all prayed and, and they did this together in a really beautiful way. And they, okay, great. Um, now um, we'd like to be baptized and we're ready to be baptized now. I said, it's 1 a.m. And it's dark outside. We'll come back in the morning. So we come back in the morning. It's like eight o'clock. And we're kind of feeling like, well, technically speaking, before someone's baptized, we're supposed to have like this kind of catechism or, or class. And so we, we, we go back into teaching and we teach for another couple of hours. And somehow at this point, there's 50 people now. And we get down to the, to the, uh, to the lake where we're doing the baptism. And it's just really uh, fast moving water. And, and, and I know that it was scary because the first person that went down in the water came up 20 yards away. <laughs> and the, despite that fact, peep, the line kept growing and we eventually baptized 70 people that day. You praise the Lord for that. But you know, we didn't baptize 70 people because these great, this great missionary came, right? The, the, the Lord was already working through Meshach. And, and, the, and the, the, the fields were ripe for harvest. Luke 10.2 says, the fields are ripe for harvest, so we should pray the Lord of the harvest that he may send out workers into his harvest fields. And that's what Meshach was, right? He heard the Spirit. He felt the Spirit at the district assembly. He went out, and it, he said, even though I'm going for work, I realize that I have been sent here into this place as a minister of the gospel. And he wasn't a pastor in training or anything like that, just a guy. And so as he goes, um, it's not because his great training or because he's a great preacher or anything like that. It's because he was willing to say yes. 
And I wanna encourage you, yes, you're, you're about to get together and, and, and think about oh, how much money are we supposed to give and is it more than last year or is, is the Lord gonna allow us to do that or are we gonna even be able to maintain what we gave last year? Maybe we haven't pledged before and we're gonna pledge now. And as you do that, I want you to, to, to think about that seriously. I know you have been. But at the same time, I wanna remind you that the Lord is sending you out and so that every place that you would go, you would realize I am a minister of the kingdom of heaven and I am sent wherever I am. I have been sent there. Whether you're in a car accident and someone just hit you or you hit someone, whether you just had a flight canceled or delayed, wherever the situation is that you're not enjoying. Yes. Even if you have, if you're sitting there being yelled at by your boss, whatever situation you are in, wherever you are at, you are a representative of the kingdom of heaven and the Lord might be wanting to use you for his purpose, his will, his way in that moment. So I'm gonna leave you with those words and just offer this prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the fact that, that no matter what you're doing around us, no matter what we see, you're at work doing so much more than we could ever see. Lord, we thank you for the fact that that. Every time we give, this money is not just used at home, but it's used far away. We thank you for the group that we're a part of because of that. Father, we also thank you that, that you would use even us. Even us sinful people. Even us who, who are, sometimes we're afraid and we enjoy just our locked room where we're safe and comfortable that you choose us and send us. And, and Lord, we pray that that this would not just be about raising money, Lord, but also about saying yes, yes to praying more for what you're doing, yes to supporting more through our finances, through telling the story, but also yes, being used near and far, whatever period of time that you might choose for us. We trust you, Lord, to do it and pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.